So we are continuing our study on the doctrine of salvation and in particular, how redemption is applied to the believer. Now, last Lord's Day, you know, we noted the fact that even though our redemption or the accomplishment of Christ's mediatorial work in redemption is vitally important, it doesn't mean anything if, it's, if it doesn't directly benefit us. Now, that redemption doesn't benefit us directly if it is not applied to us. And we noted how that redemption is applied to us is by it being applied primarily, though not exclusively, if you recall, by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the helper that Christ promised would come after he ascended to the Father. The Holy Spirit, remember, is that seal or stamp that we are part of God's family, that we are his children. We are adopted into the family of God. So we become partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by it being applied to us by the primary, though not exclusive work of the Holy Spirit. Now, within that understanding of salvation, one of the things that I also noted last Lord's Day was the fact that salvation was not to be understood as one singular act. Remember, salvation isn't just one act, but a series of acts, a, acts, a process that we know as the order of salvation, or in Latin, the ordo salutis. Within the order of salvation, remember, there are a series of acts, starting with effectual calling, and then regeneration, and then conversion, which includes repentance unto life and saving faith. Then we have justification, adoption, sanctification, both definitive and progressive. Then we have perseverance and holiness. And then we end in that blessed state of glorification. All of these acts are involved in our salvation and are necessary to bring us from being totally dead in sin to being alive and perfect in Christ. Now, this Lord's Day, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing our time on the first two acts in the Ordo Salutis, our effectual calling and our regeneration. And, you know, these first two acts that we're going to be discussing today are important for the simple fact of what the Bible says we were prior to any intervention on God's part. Never forget what Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 1. We're dead in our sins and in our trespasses. We're spiritually dead in sin. We're unresponsive. No desire at all towards anything that is holy and good as defined by God. Matter of fact, our own confession of faith tells us this in chapter 9, section 3. Where the divines write that man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. So as you can see, 
We're incapable in and of ourselves as a result of the fall. We're dead in sin again. Now, being that this was us, in order for us to come to Christ, to trust in Christ, well, that requires the performance of a supernatural work to change our spiritual disposition so that we would love and desire what we once hated and despised. And this is what takes place in our effectual calling and regeneration. Well, let's see first what our confession teaches as it pertains to this. Let's look at chapter 10 in our Confession of Faith, section 1. The divines write this, All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death, in which they are by nature, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace End quote. So we see within this first section, the divines telling us or teaching us in regards to two factors, effectual calling as well as regeneration. Our confession of faith doesn't have a specific section or chapter dealing with regeneration, but they include the idea of regeneration within the teaching of effectual calling. So for the purposes of today, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss both of these acts, effectual calling and regeneration. And we're going to start first by dealing with effectual calling, that initial act. So when we talk about effectual calling, we are talking about the initiatory act in the order of salvation, whereby those whom God elected before the foundation of the world, he now irresistibly summons to himself in time and space through the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in order to become partakers of the redemption purchased by Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to define effectual calling in this way because we are not talking about just any random type of calling. You know, when you read your Bible, you're going to know that there are different instances in the Bible where we see people being called with no evidence whatsoever of regeneration. For example, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, this is the parable um, the parable of the wedding feast. And if you read this parable, you see that many people are called to the wedding feast, but not everyone comes. Many people reject. Many people are unwilling to come. You even see Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37, saying this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. So we see in this passage, Jesus saying, oh, how I wanted to gather you. But you were unwilling, Jerusalem. And then we see Stephen saying in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 
verse 51, after he goes through all the ways in which Israel rejected the truth. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. So again, in this passage, you know, Stephen lists, if you go through it, all the times where Israel proved unfaithful. He makes the proclamation that they are always resisting the Holy Spirit. So we see, and like I said, in all of these passages, instances of calling. But see, these passages are not in reference to what we mean when we talk about effectual calling. See, because we're not talking when we mention effectual calling about just a wooing where God starts to make his big spiel, his convincing spiel, but then we can somehow reject. No. See, we're talking about an act whereby God now draws to the, the elect sinner to himself without failure. This is why I defined effectual calling in the manner that I did. And again, let me restate myself. When we talk about effectual calling, we are talking about that initiatory act in the order of salvation, whereby those whom God the Father elected before the foundations of the world, he now irresistibly summons to himself in time and space through the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration in order to become partakers of the redemption that was purchased by Jesus Christ. So, who is the initiator of this call? Well, strictly speaking, it's the Father, the first person of the Holy Spirit who is doing the drawing. But that being said, his drawing is not independent of Christ or the Holy Spirit. This is so important for us to understand. All members of the Trinity are essential for effectual calling to be effectual. Let's take a look at a couple of passages. We see in John chapter 6, verses 44, Jesus Christ saying this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So a couple of things to note here. One, Jesus Christ is making it pretty clear that only those whom God the Father draws to him actually comes to Christ. And then another thing to note, that those whom God the Father draws come to Christ. They don't just get drawn into some random vacuum. Then we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul saying this, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So again, Note who they were called into. He's saying clearly that God the Father called those believers into fellowship with Christ. So we can see in just those two passages, the fact, again, that our effectual calling is not in a vacuum. You know, God did not call us into some abstract thing. No, he called us into Jesus Christ. So, you know, if, any of you and a lot of you have been members here for quite some time. So you'd have heard Dr. T say this quite often when he talks about election. He mentions our election is not salvation. 
our election is into Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And see, in the same way, our factual calling isn't just in a vacuum, isn't this abstract thing. Our effectual calling draws us to Jesus Christ. In the passages that we saw in John chapter 6 and in 1 Corinthians 1 are making it clear that those whom God has called are called into Jesus Christ. Now, what about the Holy Spirit? Where does he fit into this idea of effectual calling? Well, The Holy Spirit, as we alluded to, fits in all of this through his work of regeneration. Now, we're going to spend the final portion of the lesson today dealing with regeneration. So I won't talk about this in this particular moment right now. But it's sufficient right now for me to just make clear that, again, the Holy Spirit's involvement in effectual calling is in that work of regeneration. He's the one that's replacing that stony heart with that heart of flesh. That's enlightening our minds. So even though the success of effectual calling is tied to that monergistic work of God, again, monergistic, so basically meaning no cooperation within us, that does not mean that God does not use certain outward means by which to draw us, to draw the sinners even though the internal work of effectual calling is all of God, no cooperation from us, the means that God uses to hourly call his people is the gospel found in the word of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, we see Paul, the apostle, writing this, and pay attention. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. So now that's the internal work and faith and truth. Verse 14, it was for this he called you through our gospel. There goes the external work right there. That you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see in this passage both the internal work of the Holy Spirit, but also the external work of the preaching of the gospel itself. Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. So again, the gospel, the gospel preached, the gospel found in the word of God. So the scriptures, the word of God is an important external component that we must not overlook. Now, see, just because we realize and we humbly acknowledge the fact that God alone internally calls without any assistance from us. See, that does not negate the fact that God works that internal call through the outward means of his holy word. I can't stress enough the importance of this because, see, if we ignore this fact, then you know, what would be the point of preaching the gospel? I mean, think about it. If we understand, rightly so, that it is all of God who draws us, who calls us to him, but we ignore the outward means, we ignore what the Bible commands for us to do, 
what would be the point of preaching the gospel? See, what would, what would keep us from becoming hyper-Calvinistic and rejecting all the ordained means to call sinners to repentance? Now, you know, all this being said, the external call of the gospel does not always result in salvation. That's true. Only the internal call through the work of regeneration in the Holy Spirit results in salvation 100% of the time. However, those who are able to outwardly answer the call only answer to the call of the gospel. And let's turn again to our Bibles to see an example of this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, we read it last Lord's Day. We're going to read it again today. This is the account of Lydia, the worshiper of God. Again, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So, see, with Lydia, even though we clearly see that the Holy Spirit was working internally, to enable her to respond. What she responded to was the gospel that was preached to her by Paul. You know, it wasn't like, you know, God opened up her heart as she's making purple fabrics. And all of a sudden she was like, I don't know what just happened. You know, here I am making fabrics. And I think there's this guy called Jesus who, who died for my sins. No. That didn't happen at all. God opened her heart, but then Paul preached the word of God to her to respond to it. First Peter 1, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. So we see Peter mentioning in this passage and reminding believers of the means by which they believed and were saved, which was through the living and enduring word of God. It's like what um, David writes in Psalm chapter 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If you notice, I mentioned that those who are able to outwardly answer the call only answer to the call of the gospel. I don't know if you Notice that qualification that I made, those who are able to outwardly answer the call. Because, see, I made that qualification for a reason. Because there are some who are called by the internal work of the Holy Spirit, but then yet they are unable to answer the outward call of the gospel. And our confession alludes to this in chapter 10, section 3. They write this. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. So there are those rare instances, such as, for example, an elect baby who dies in infancy, or an elect individual who might suffer from some severe cognitive Mal, you know, um, maladies such as maybe severe autism or perhaps someone who was born blind and deaf to where they can't hear or see anything. In those rare instances, 
if they are elect, they are saved by Christ through the Spirit, even if they can't outwardly answer the call of the word, of the gospel. Now, again, these are rare instances. So we don't want to take rare instances as so often people do and then apply it to every situation. Because aside from those very rare instances, it is through the word of God preached that a person first hears and then by the internal work of God is drawn and trust in God for salvation. Or just to put it simply, there is no other message that saves. I love how Gordon Clark puts it. He writes this. But though some persons may be regenerated apart from the preaching of the word, as we alluded to, no one can be saved by a different message. So anyone that has any any questions in regards to people who have never heard the gospel, who lives in other places, who aren't obviously either a, 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 um, a lack or, in, or a baby or anything like that. No, if they have not heard the message, the gospel itself, then they cannot be saved. That's why it is so important for ministers to go out and preach the gospel and preach the truth. Like Paul says, quoting from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, the good news. That being said, so let's let's move now to regeneration quickly. Let's start first by a quote from John Murray in his book, Redemption, Accomplished and Applied. John Murray writes this, God's call, since it is effectual, carries with it the operative grace whereby the person called is enabled to answer the call and to embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered in the gospel. God's grace reaches down to the lowest depths of our need and meets all the exigencies of the moral and spiritual impossibility which inheres in our depravity and inability. And that grace is the grace of regeneration, end quote. So when we're talking about regeneration, we're talking about that monergistic work of the Holy Spirit where that formerly stony heart is replaced with a fleshy heart. That formerly darkened mind is enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. And that formerly enslaved will is made free and renewed and enabled to answer God's call and embrace Jesus Christ. This work is something that we are altogether passive in and God is solely active in. Yet, when God imparts his work of regeneration in us, we are now enabled to accept and trust in Jesus Christ. So even though it is a passive and internal work, it does bear external fruit that we manifest. See, apart from this work of regeneration that is performed in us, we can't believe the gospel. Apart from this work of regeneration that is performed within us, we will always resist the call of God. Apart from this work of regeneration, we will never repent unto life. Like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. You know, when we saw those earlier passages, the parable of the wedding feast, Jesus saying how he wanted 
um, for, for them to come, but they were unwilling and Stephen calling the Jews um, stiff-necked and hard-hearted. When we saw those earlier passages of people resisting, they were resisting, quite frankly, because they were not born again. They weren't regenerated. They were hard-hearted. And each and every person is that way until that work of regeneration takes place. Now, when we look throughout the Bible, there's really only one passage which uses the term regeneration. And that's Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That being said, even though the word is only expressly indicated in this passage, the idea, the understanding of regeneration is throughout the Bible utilizing different phrases. For example, to be born again. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, we have Jesus speaking with Nicodemus and saying this, verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Moving into verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is, go where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So the ability for a person to even see the kingdom of God, is impossible without some work being performed by God. They have to be born again. They have to be born spiritually. If that isn't done, they will not respond to any appeal of the gospel. The spiritual birth that we see being talked about here is identical to what we would refer to as regeneration. And then you have another phrase that's used, new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. So we know when Paul talks about new creation in this passage, he isn't talking about a physical creation, but he is referencing a spiritual creation. And that spiritual creation, which any person who is in Christ partakes in, is the work of regeneration performed by the Holy Spirit. And then another phrase that's used that's akin to regeneration would be to be made alive. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he, Christ, made us alive, or God made us alive together with Christ. Again here, Paul indicates to them that they were dead. And they had to be made alive. They were made alive. They weren't in a coma or in a very deep sleep and were able to wake up. They were dead. They were made alive by the power of God. So, you know, whether you want to call it being born again, a new creation, being made alive, or regeneration, all of these terms teach the same truth. In order for a person to answer the call of God, they must first be internally transformed. This is why our confession includes regeneration within the chapter on effectual calling. Because apart from the Spirit's work of regeneration, the call will not be effectual. So as I'm sure you're able to see, 
both the work of effectual calling and the work of regeneration are important components in the order of salutis, the order of salvation. We were at one point dead and unresponsive. To be made partakers of Christ's redemption, we must first be called and quickened by God. This is the process of effectual calling and regeneration. It is that initial process in the overall plan of salvation. Now, that being said, our salvation doesn't end in effectual calling and regeneration, but it proceeds from there into our conversion, which consists of repentance unto life and saving faith. Now, this aspect of our salvation, our conversion, we will examine, Lord willing, next Lord's day.